Welcome back to another episode of the Seek Outside podcast. Uh, my name is Dennis. Kevin is here today. And then our guest today is Jeff Lansdale, a physical therapist located in uh, Humboldt, Tennessee. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Dennis. Uh, and you were just saying, too, that you've been a physical therapist since 1981. Is that correct? Since 1991. Oh, 91. Okay. okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to date you there. Sorry. Which is which is long <laughs> enough. <laughs> and you were saying that you're starting to eat again. Uh, that's right. Uh, I'll tell you, the uh, pandemic, uh, you know, some of the some of the things people don't think about, um, I work in healthcare, and, and you would think that we would be quite busy during a healthcare crisis, but uh, actually in the outpatient physical therapy setting, which is what I work in, um, we've had quite a lean year, uh, quite a lean year, uh, leading to laying off staff, uh, short work weeks. Um, my clinic, we typically work five people and we got down to two people about uh, two days a week at the worst of it. Um, you know, and, and it's uh, surgeries. We do a lot of post-surgical rehabilitation. Surgeries were cut down in the hospital as they were servicing COVID, COVID patients and different reasons. People kind of uh, hunkering down, as we might say in the South, and not getting out as much. Um, but... Uh, Things have turned around. Uh, this past past month has been really good, and, and we're getting back to normal. So that that's good to see. Yes, I, I need. Uh, I am used to eating three times a day, and I need uh, patients to come in the the door to support that. <laughs> Which leads us back to that we're doing a caribou hunt um, to help put some food on your table later that's this right. year. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And I am that kind of uh, I am that kind of hunter. I am I'm, I'm a meat hunter, so I love uh, I love nice antlers and horns. But I am a meat hunter at the end of the day. So you have been a Seek Outside customer, early on pack buyer. One day you kind of frustrated me because you got yourself into kind of a pickle with a bull, and it was during hunting season, and. My whole day had just been going bad anyway because I had a guy, I, I ended up helping a guy who had a broken down truck and all this. And then I get this call. Um, there's this guy, has a has a bull down. He's pretty far back. Um, but we've been good friends ever since then. Um, and I've leaned on you for a lot of physical therapy stuff, which I didn't even know... I probably knew, but I didn't really know. It didn't click. And I'm talking to you during the pandemic, and you're like, well, this is the way you should do this. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I actually enjoyed some of our, our talks on, on physical therapy, and I, I was was happy to help you. Uh, some of the backstory on what Kevin indicated, and I, I've got to say, uh, you hid your frustration well that day. You, you were very kind. <laughs> I did not know you were frustrated, but uh, you, you did burn a day during elk season, no doubt. Uh, I had, uh, in, in my pursuit of uh, my first bull elk, I, I was consumed by the process and uh, got to a year where 
I did not have a, a friend to go with from from home here in Tennessee, and uh, I was going regardless and uh, went solo to uh, some pretty high country, pretty far back, and uh, actually uh, killed a bull and then was left with the task of getting that thing out of there. And uh, Kevin uh, was kind enough. I, I knew uh, one of the guys he worked with, Nathan Coleman, who's also from Tennessee, and uh, sent. I had already contacted the game warden and, a, and an outfitter that works the area. Really wasn't getting any anywhere. And shot a text out to uh, Nathan. Uh, hey man, I'm up here. I could use some help if I can get it. And uh, next thing I knew, uh, Kevin's wife Angie uh, actually got a call through to me, and uh, she said, "I've got three guys coming up the mountain." And she said. They're all horses. You'll get everything out in one trip. <laughs> and that was accurate, and we did. Saved me about three days of suffering. And uh, so it did start a good friendship after that. Really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Did, so, did, you, uh, did you load them up super heavy? You know, I hate to admit it, but I, I think I, I think they did carry out a little more than, than I did. Um I was always already a few days into the trip, and uh, I used that as my excuse. But uh, they were uh, they were all quite a bit stronger out than I was in that packing category. So ground me into the dirt, really. Mm. The, but, the elevation probably doesn't help either, coming from Tennessee to to the high country. You know, it is a big adjustment, and particularly that trip. That's the only time I, I flew out there. And so, you know, I went from Nashville in the morning to um, about 11.5 in southwest Colorado in in one day. Um, But, but yeah, they they helped me out, no doubt about it. That can be a pretty big change. I know Nathan goes through that as well. Um, So you should have a unique perspective because you have brought some pretty fit people to the mountains to hunt with you. Um, You're from the east, continually going in this high-altitude terrain. You're, from what I gather, very active in CrossFit. And you're a physical therapist. So what issues have you seen? um, For instance, you, you guys killed a beautiful bull the last time you were out, the uh, the one that I that we rough scored at my house, right? Um, and but it sounded like that was quite the adventure, even for guys who were CrossFit Games or instructors type people. Well, um, it was, and you know the area that that I've kind of chosen to hunt out there. Um, I do hunt one of, you know, the first rifle season in Colorado typically is what I do. And uh, that is a, is a draw hunt. But then second and third season, that unit rolls over to over the counter. Um, So it's a, it's a high pressure unit. And, you know, I used the uh, Colorado hunting Atlas when I started, it was the old NDIS system and uh, looked for certain features uh, where habitats and different things overlapped. 
and and then kind of pick the worst spot on the map that I could find uh, where those things overlapped, and and that's where I went. And we've had some success back there, but uh, the country is severe. And uh, you know, the the biggest thing that I've noticed coming from the east, uh, going west, and and then having somewhat of a fitness health background, um, it's very difficult to train for the mountains in the west here in the east. Uh, You can replicate the vertical, you know, just travel a little bit, maybe in some of our eastern mountains, the Smokies, uh, uh, such as that. But I live in West Tennessee. We're pretty flat here. Um, so, so yeah, you can, you can train really hard and and do all the right things, spend time under a pack, but when you get out in that high country, it's, it's going to be a challenge and it's going to be, be, uh, a little difficult. Um, just found no good way to replicate it here. And, um, that last hunt that Kevin was referencing, I had two guys, one's a CrossFit coach. And one of the guys was in the top 50 or 60 or so athletes in his age group in the world. Uh, super fit guys, strong. Um, and they, they struggled at times. And particularly, uh, we did have an awfully nice bull. And the guy that had uh, taken the bull, he really wanted the head in cape. Um, and we, we just couldn't get that thing out of there. Uh, we had to give up and, you know, just take the antlers and, and leave the head. Um, but e- even for those guys that were so strong and so fit, it's it's still just challenging country. Hmm. Was it um, was it the size of, of the elk as well? Like the horns, the antlers were just being so big that they were hard to maneuver through the trees. And like, is was that part of the reason or was it just weight and days of carrying in, in rough country? You know, it was, I think it was more weight, more weight than anything. And some inexperience. Um, I typically hunt with llamas and particularly um, since I got in a bind and Kevin and his friends had to bail me out. Um, And probably some inexperience in packing uh, the antlers head and cape out on a llama. But just trying to get the meat out. And then that extra weight all together in a timely fashion, it was going to be difficult. Um, and the animal had, had fallen in, you know, a hole, basically. And we had a steep climb out to, uh, to get to the ridge. And, um, you know, when I, when I left my two friends, I was with the meat and the llamas kind of up on the ridge. And they were going to work the head up to the ridge top. And uh, I think they moved it about 50 yards up the slope, and those guys gave up. Hmm. And, you know, they, they both, uh, they both uh, squat well over 400 pounds, uh, deadlift much more than that, and, you know, they gave up. So uh, just the weight and altitude and everything, hard on a, f- a flatlander. Yeah, that, that altitude is such a such an equalizer or and or like a hurdle that is really hard to overcome right yeah. without just spending time uh yeah high, I, right? I don't i don't know a way i don't know a way to duplicate it i, I um, remember they were at my house 
really like, okay, how do we save weight? <laughs> we went in way too heavy this time. You know, <laughs> teach us about lightweight backpacking. But they're guys that squat well over 400. Yeah. Um, that That's another... That's another trap, uh, if you will, for guys that are going uh, west uh, from the east. And, you know, I am I am certainly not an expert in lightweight backpack camping. I'm, I'm kind of a, a hack at it, and I get by. Uh, Kevin would certainly be an expert, but um, I have run into guys in my hunt area with huge packs and huge loads and they're trying to gain that high country, and they are just suffering, you know, and, and they just overpacked. Um, you know, it, it'll pay off to spend time planning well and cutting down your gear and getting the best gear you can afford to save weight. Uh, you won't regret it. So what, so as an Eastern guy, say the... 40 to 50 year old hunter wanting to go west from just a pure physical therapy what kind of things can they do to make their body the most resilient for trips like this to where they don't suffer some sort of long-term injuries you know um and and that's a good question it's a it's a huge question and i don't really know that i have a complete answer just you know some suggestions um if you're going to the rockies to hunt elk and and you're not going to be hunting in some alfalfa field or some pasture of some sort you know um you need to begin some kind of training program and and almost any training is better than no training okay um some of the things and in my clinic and in my practice, and, and I, I'm generally an orthopedic guy. I've always leaned that way. <clears throat> um, but I, I see many more problems from inactivity than activity in general, if you will, when you get to kind of root cause. Um, and you kind of carry that over for our, to your training for the mountains. Uh, guys that maybe they don't set aside enough time to get in better shape. Um, or they don't commit themselves uh, to the process. But uh, first thing I would say is uh, I plan. It, it takes months to get in shape. And um, then whether it be uh, running or uh, weightlifting or a combination of those, um, plan for that time. And uh, then really try to do some things that are functional to supplement your training. Uh, spend some time under a pack um, and, you know, walking trails, uh, off trail, you know, kind of duplicate that activity that you're going to be doing as close as you can. Um, but uh, I guess putting the time aside, some sort of cardio like running or some other uh, cardio type exercise, some sort of strength training, okay, and then some functional stuff, uh, uh, time under a pack. Uh, those would be uh, those would be some of the things that I recommend. What would be the top, say, three to five 
um, strength training exercises. Is the squat really the king and the dead the other the the sub king, or is there something else that would would lunges or or something without weight maybe be better? You know, and we all start at different areas, and you you have to tailor your fitness regimen to where you are functionally and what you can handle and 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 what you can start at safely. That's that's the key. Um, I do think when you're training for these hunts like we're talking about and, and athletic endeavors that Olympic-type lifts, uh, which in my mind are more functional, whether it be a squat, deadlift, uh, power clean, uh, clean and jerk, uh, those things, those types of lifts where you're incorporating balance, strength, coordination, uh, proprioception, which is kind of a balanced sense, our joints, feet, our brain, all of those things together, I, I think they're much better than, say, a weight machine, which locks the plane into one body, into which, excuse me, locks the body into one plane of movement, and it's much less functional. Um, so... I do like those Olympic lifts. Now that's coming from a CrossFit guy, you know, and that's what what we do. Uh, so there's some bias there, but uh, functional activities like that I think are much much more beneficial. Uh, lunges are great too. They incorporate all of those things that uh, that I was discussing: the balance, coordination, proprioception, controlling weight in space. Uh, um, those something along those lines should be part of somebody's training regimen when they're getting ready to go out west. Now, with that said, again, any training is better than no training. Okay, and if if you've got weight machines and that's what fits your schedule and that's what you do safely, then have at it. You'll you'll be in a much better place than not doing anything. What about say ply plyometrics? You know. Um, when I first started going out west, uh, I was not doing CrossFit at that time. I was working out in a gold gym, a Gold's gym, um, doing the regular weightlifting, kind of the the bro workout, if you would. But uh, I also did a traditional aerobics class, and I mean, it was like back to the '80s, you know, with the ladies and the sweat band i would be the only guy in there a lot nice. of times nice um, in some sweaty yeah. ba- in some sweaty basement somewhere do you well it was a little better studio than that but um but you know it was it was kind of an uh, an odd feeling being there but uh, a lot of plyometrics which again is you know um there's that loading and burst, and so you're, you're building some power. You're controlling your body in space through some quicker movements. And to this day, I've been doing CrossFit over three years now. To this day, I still miss that aerobics class uh, with the jumping and lunging and, and a variety of plyometric movements. Um, number one, my cardio for me was bulletproof after you know a year of that um and then a lot of the other benefits you know like i was talking about controlling my body in space uh, uh 
So I think the plyometrics, uh, it's a great uh, addition to any training program. And, uh, and, and don't discount the old aerobics class if you can find one. Just just go, who's that, who's that uh, 80s guy? Richard. Uh, Richard Simmons, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, what, get, what was his class? Get out the old tape player. <laughs> yeah, find, find your VHS player. If I meet someone in the mountains who said that they use primarily <laughs> Richard Simmons, I'm going to laugh my ass off. <laughs> yeah, I would keep that to myself. <laughs> uh, Jane Fonda workout. Um, what about, say, yoga? You know, I know some, uh, I've never done it, um, but uh, I think great concepts in that uh, exercise discipline. I don't have a lot of exposure to it, but I know some pretty fit people that do yoga and um, they're big fans of it. And uh, I, I think that uh, would also be a good, good avenue. You know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. So I just don't know much about it myself, but uh, I think a good solid discipline overall. When you when you talk about time time under under a pack, um, how do you feel about like the stair stepper, right? Like putting a pack on and just spending an hour on the stair stepper, just walking uphill essentially, right? Like for for some guy again, like yourself in in Tennessee, maybe there aren't any hills you can just go walk up. Um, right you know it, is that something that you you do and or um which suggests for folks yes um i actually have done that and uh it i think is a decent supplement um again you get in kind of those single planar motions with machines and your legs are moving the same direction all the time and your feet are hitting in the same manner all the time and then when you get out on a trail just a little rocky trail and your feet are accommodating for that and then all of a sudden you've got much more movement uh, coming up your kinetic chain and the hips are having to adjust so it is it is a good base supplement i would not be opposed to anybody doing that but it's not going to replicate walking up a hill on the ground which is just such a multi-varied uh, experience for your body and and I tell you when I've when I've been out there and hunted that country one of the places myself that I hurt the most it is my hips it's my lateral hips kind of the side of my butt cheek so to speak and I think it's because I have trouble duplicating you know walking on a trail and all those adjustments that you have to do and especially when you've got a pack on you you know it's changed your center of gravity Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, a great supplement, but it, it won't fix all the problems. What about the, I'm putting, I got 90 pounds in my pack and I take my dog for a walk around the block every third day with it. And it's just flat road. Yes. Um, you know, a 90 pound pack, that's a significant load and, uh, there are benefits uh, to that. And, you know, I kind of look at it like, 
you do as many things as you can to get as in to get as prepared as you can get for that country and a flat road is not going to duplicate it but you're building up strength to carry that pack you're getting used to balancing the pack and there is going to be carryover and benefit and you know falling back to that maxim i keep repeating some training is better than no training and so yes sir i, I would say have at it absolutely so what i'm kind of hearing is if you have even like a 200 foot hill that you could load a pack with 50 pounds and walk up and down it for an hour regardless of if it has a, tra a trail on it or anything that would probably be the closest to replicating what you might run into um, that's a fabulous idea and i have uh you know west tennessee is kind of uh, flat as i indicated we drive over towards middle tennessee and it gets progressively hillier as you get into the appalachian chain um, we get over to Nashville, and there are places where the, the uh, interstate, you know, cuts through some pretty high hills. And I have told my wife several times, if I could just get my pack and walk up and down this hill on the side of the interstate over and over, I would be in such better shape. So I think that's a great suggestion. And I would I would go beyond that. Um if you're kind of in flat country like I am, if there is a lake levee and it's 50 or 70 feet tall, you know, hike up and down that thing some, um, as long as, you know, un until you get run off anyway, and, uh, and and you will be doing yourself a favor. Yeah. But it, it all the little pieces, doing what you can, uh, they all fit together and, and they will help in the end. So... So we'll see how influential this podcast is. If I start driving around town and see people walking up the little overpasses where, where they're trying to plant grass, I'll be like, man, we got a big fan base. <laughs> that, that uh, I, I would know what they're doing, and that, that would be a good sign. That'd be funny. <laughs> um, how, long, how long have you been using llamas? So I started, I think I went on my first hunt out west in 2011. That was also solo up in northwest Colorado. Um, but in the country wasn't as severe. So I think I started using them the next year in 2012. Hmm. 2012. And as far as my elk hunting goes, I've used them every time since then except for the one where Kevin had to bail me out. Yeah. Um, and so are they your llamas or are you just renting them when you come out? I'm, I'm renting llamas. Um, pick those up on the way out and it kind of, we uh, plan our, our first night stay where we pick up the llamas okay. and then head on over to the trailhead after that. Yeah. Um, been a been a pretty good experience. I never I never told the llama guy about it, but I had one get away from me one time. That was 
that was <laughs> it was kind of tense for a little while. I I could not catch the guy, but uh, finally uh, they they usually work llamas in pairs, and this was certainly an ornery llama. He is antisocial uh, for sure, but um, he did enjoy some company with his partner. So I, I, I chased him with the other llama and eventually got him. <laughs> was his was his partner a girl llama or or was it? I don't think so. So um, yeah, so so llamas you actually can't you can't have males and females together. Oh really? Um, if, yeah, if you ever see llamas, they're either all males or all females, just depending uh, on how big the ranch is or whatnot. But yeah, they they tend to. Uh, they get aggressive with one another. Say you have a female and two males, like the males will just fight it out all the time. Trying for the female. Yep. Just yeah, they fight to um so yeah. If, what if she's what if she's not a pretty llama? <laughs> I don't think they're too choosy. I think they still fight it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had my first experience with llamas uh llamas this year and in from from that experience i think uh you know we're we're trying to find some llamas at this point so i mean they they definitely make a lot of sense uh for getting getting in and out quickly and efficiently you know um you can make a trip instead of maybe four trips yeah they uh it's uh it's really been a good uh tool or, or facet of the way that I've hunted that high country. And again, if we're talking about going from east to west, you know, um, that first rifle season that I hunt, it's five days. Um, I'll typically get a day of scouting in. Um, but I've kind of got a clock going in, in my head and it's okay. I've got so many good physical days up here and then I'm going to be beat to death. Mm. And, you know, that thing is winding down and, uh, some sort of stock animal, llamas in my case, certainly extend my good functional time period up there in the mountains. I'm, I'm not beating myself to death carrying my gear. The llama's doing that, mm. you know. And then hopefully when you do fill a tag, you know, uh, the llamas are there to help. But um, if you're beat down from five days of hunting or, or doing stuff that you're not accustomed to doing, uh, those llamas are there to, to just make that pack out that much easy, easier. Uh, just a much, much more enjoyable uh, experience. And llamas are, are relatively uh, care or, or work free, just as long as you don't let them get away from you. Um, they will eat anything along the trail. The first couple of trips I made with llamas, I, I carried a little supplemental food. I have stopped doing that. They eat oak leaves, grass. I've seen them eat the bark off a pine tree. Um, and and then uh, they don't need water but every few days, you know. And I'm not a horse guy, but uh, I think you have to water those horses every, every day or a couple times a day. So a good bit of work in maintaining your stock where – Llamas basically get them water every three days, and then uh, they have a little stake and a rope where you where you stake them out. You know, just move their stake every day where they have a some new grazing, and uh, and you're good to go. 
They don't really care about you, right? Llamas are not affectionate. And like, uh, the I llama have... that, that got away from me, uh, Tippy was his name, and Tippy was particularly unaffectionate. Um, actually took a swipe at me a couple times with his hind leg. And llamas kick forward. I've never, I never saw one kick back, but you can be in front. You know, you can be up around the front shoulder of a llama, and they, they'll reach out for you with the back leg. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, with Tippy's tendency to get away and even swat at me, he was so good at his job, and he was so strong. You know, I would request Tippy again and, and again. Uh, hmm. He uh, he was a pretty cool llama at the end of the day. Why was he named Tippy? You know, his uh, the top of it, llama ears are supposed to stick straight up, okay? And his went like this. And I, I believe that's why they named him Tippy. But uh, <laughs> almost destroyed him as a young llama, I understood. Um, but he just turned into a fabulous packer. Um, uh, like destroyed him as in because he didn't have a typical kind of physical assets that a llama would have that he wasn't worth as much, I guess. Right, right. His ears drooping over or, or a birth defect. So mm-hmm. they were just going to cull him from the herd. Um, hmm. But uh, I don't know. You may have to bleep this part out. But uh, when we when we turned uh, when we returned Tippy from our last hunt and uh we had had that bull down in that hole, and uh, Tippy played a big role in up, us getting up and out of there. And then we got kind of lost in some deadfall, and uh, Tippy kind of saved the day. I mean, he was taking those loads and going over the deadfall and dragging the other llama along with it. Um, but, uh, you know, he was Tippy. He was still pretty ornery. But my friend, when we turned the llama back in, he, he looked at the— uh, the guy had said, uh, Tippy's a straight-up a-hole, but he uh, <laughs> he was such a good lava. We would we would get him again, huh. no doubt about it. He, he was maybe all business all the time, huh? All business and ornery. And ornery. <laughs> huh. He wasn't going to make it easy on you. No, he, he wasn't, so... Interesting. I guess, uh, you know, llamas right now, being that I'm kind of looking around, they're impossible to find. I, you know, I think your sentiment, you know, my little experience with them last year was like, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of people in the United States going, this makes a lot of sense, you know, to, to have some llamas. They're, they're just really, really hard to find. Are you going to put them in your backyard? Me? Maybe like a little zoo for your daughters? Uh, no, my, actually my cousin, uh, in Wisconsin is going to, we have two on the way, I guess. So we did, we yeah. did manage to track down two, but like trained llamas or are you guys going to have to train them? Yeah. Two of the same llamas we used last year. Um, so to, to tell a short, short story, we hunt an area and, and these guys came in with llamas and talking to them. It was the <clears> first time ever using the llamas. They had bought them. This was kind of their first trip hunting with them. We ended up shooting a bull. They hadn't shot anything yet, so he kind of offered to pack uh, pack our bull out just to get the experience with his llamas. Um, so we did that, and 
just through conversation and, and talking to him throughout the year, I think we're going to acquire two of the three llamas that we used last year. So just by happen, just by chance that we met these guys that they offered uh, to pack out our bull and um, we're going to end up with a couple llamas. So. Well, aren't you going to be suspicious? Why are they getting rid of their llamas so soon? No, we know. We know why. They're not the they're not the uh, cream of the crop per se, uh, but some like yeah, kind of like training, right? Some training is better than no training. Um, we know these guys can. They did it last year. Uh, they could do it again. So we know they work. They're just not. Um, they're not the cream of the crop. They're not the tallest llamas, right? They don't. What if one of them decides to take off with your elk in a different direction? Um. Yeah, man. I mean, they're all tied together. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to let go of that lead. That's for yeah. sure. Okay, yeah, let's talk them... about. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, just just getting them over logs and stuff, right? Is is kind of a, I mean, that's like a subtle art in itself. Yeah, that's when you need a tippy. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm. So let's talk. Are we excited about caribou hunt this year? You know, I was uh, I was resisting the urge to send you a text this weekend that, that I was getting excited, um, but uh, for my part, I I sure am, uh, no doubt about it. You know, I, I get at a certain point out from a, a trip or a hunt, and I, I can start to get those uh, butterflies in my stomach. And for the first time, I, I felt it a little bit this weekend. So, so I'm getting excited. It's going to be different. For I think all I've never done a fly-in hunt, um, so it's actually probably going to be a little extra gear. But then it's also going to have its own challenges of being um, kind of kind of out there, like you are in some of the more committing uh, backcountry adventures, like when you toss yourself in some remote river, and your option is to get out at the end of it or where your takeout is and your other options are not very good are mostly all rescue based in between one point and the other so yeah it will uh, it will certainly be the furthest i've ever been off the beaten path i've never been to alaska um so it's uh yeah i'm looking forward to it all of it uh the experience the challenge newness um you know I'm basically a, a 53-year-old office boy, and so something different and uh, a little challenge every now and then. I, I think it's it's good for the soul. Mm-hmm. Are you doing an elk hunt this year, too, or are you doing the caribou instead of elk? No, I'm just doing the caribou uh, okay. this year, more than likely, unless I drew a Tennessee tag. Um, mm. And I did have a friend that was lucky enough to draw a Tennessee tag last year. He uh, he got a nice bull during the archery season. So, hmm. but, how does uh, how does Tennessee do their draw? Is it a random random draw? Or are you got to get preference points. It is, it is a random draw. Uh, no preference points. Uh, very few tags. We have a a modest herd in kind of eastern Tennessee and some of the mountains up there. And uh, I I think I think it's about five adult tags. I'm hmm. not really sure. And then a couple of youth tags, um, sure. but uh, if if you do get a tag, it's, it's got a very high success rate. So yeah, yeah. So how many elk are actually in Tennessee? You know, Kevin, I don't 
I'm not sure right offhand. It is, I, I think it's less than 5,000. But in speaking with the uh, kind of the elk manager over there when we were hunting last year, he said the herd is steadily growing and, and meeting those goals as far as growth. So a uh, very small uh, herd, but steadily growing. Let's go. So you were able to hunt with your buddy then last year? Yeah, just kind of kind of support uh, camp cook and just whatever needed to be done. A little little scouting. Um, I was not not with him when he got his bull, but uh, there shortly uh, hmm. or thereafter, and uh, really cool experience. Really cool experience for Tennessee. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's super cool. I've, it's a uh, same with Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin, I think only I'm fr- I'm from Wisconsin originally, and I think there's like ten resident tags, maybe you know. Yeah, um, the chances are very slim, but just knowing that it's that wasn't an opportunity when I was growing up, that is now an opportunity in Wisconsin. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, what is your biggest insecurity on the fly-in hunt? Me. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't, you know, I've never hunted in grizzly country. Um, I've thought about that some. Um, Really, that's kind of the only thing that uh, gives me any sort of apprehension. That'll be kind of new. You know, and again, just seeing what kind of place we end up in and, um, I will probably have a little apprehension if we're kind of busting through some head high or above brush and, you know, we can't see very far around us. That'll that'll be a different experience. Especially if you have an animal down in there. That, that will add another level to it. Yeah, yeah. If you got a big bull down in a bunch of brush, um I definitely, that one is probably the one point where I'm like, okay, that will definitely get, get your cackles up for right. like, a better term, you know? Right. I, you know? I've never carried a, I've never carried a handgun to uh, Colorado when I was hunting. I've never done that, but I will have one this time and, and a chest holster and I will have it on most of the time out of, I'm out of the tent. So, hmm. um, you know, and I don't, I don't want to get into the debate bait about bear spray and handguns and all of that uh, just for myself i'm, I'm going to feel better with that that on me so mm. may have bear spray too have, have you stocked up on ammo already you got enough ammo i have i, I kind of started at the beginning of the pandemic um so I, I do have a supply of ammo and i'm a reloader and i have i'm, I'm pretty well stocked up up there too so you know uh Talking about anxieties, I've I've always felt comfortable um, hunting in the high country of Colorado. My my solo hunt when I was in the high country was one of the best experiences of my life. I I, I cannot describe how good I felt up there. Um, but uh, Kevin, you you will uh, remember my friend Lovey that hunted mm-hmm. out there with me one year, young guy, and. Uh, we did get a bull that year, but there was one night 
in my tent, um, I woke up screaming and Lovey was in his tent and was wondering what was going on. But I was actually dreaming that a bear had a hold of me from the outside of the tent and was dragging me along the ground. And it was so real. I could I could feel myself bouncing across the ground. It, it was crazy. So even though no. I was I said I was comfortable, there must have been something underlying there. Now so. I have a story for you. If you go back and listen to our Chris Prin podcast, <laughs> He said he was camping with a buddy of his. He teaches a lot of backpacking and backpack hunting stuff in British Columbia. And he said he heard in the middle of the night his buddy screaming, and he just tried to put it out of his mind. Then he heard him screaming some more, and he just tried to put it out of his mind. Then he heard him yelling, it's got me, it's got me. And his buddy was sleeping in a bivy sack underneath a tarp. And a black bear was pulling away the bivy sack with him in it. Oh, my goodness. So now now we just crippled you for the whole hunt. You're going to have like double layer bear fence around the tent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm going to have one of those too. We just, we, we just confirmed your worst nightmare. <laughs> like, oh, no, that can happen. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm really lo- I'm really looking forward to it. Well, awesome. Any more physical therapy t- tips before we uh, um, wrap up? You know, I, again, going back to, um, I, I see more people with inactivity problems as opposed to activity problems uh, when you get down to a root cause. And then they, whatever, you know, it may have been some activity that caused their injury, so to speak, but it was a lack of fitness at the end of the day that, that wouldn't let their body tolerate that activity. And, uh, you know, I, I would just encourage people to get out and whatever it may be, there's great benefits just to walking, just to get out and do something to improve your fitness and regular exercise. I, I know that's cliche, but uh, our lives have become so easy in the modern world. Uh, there are so many conveniences um, that it's it's coming back to haunt us a little bit. So I would just say get out there and do something physical. Make it a, a regular part of your life. It'll improve pretty your soon, life. Pretty soon we're going to be like the Wally movie. I think about that. <laughs> you'd, you'd be surprised how often I think about that. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, Jeff, thanks thanks for jumping on today and, and telling us some good stories. Um, Kevin, you got any parting words for anybody? No, no, no. If Jeff wants to uh, let people know where they can find him, um, you know, speak up. Otherwise, we're just going to hide. We're going. You're going to be the physical therapist, anonymous physical therapist. Well, I am in in Humboldt, Tennessee. It is rural West Tennessee. Uh, again, a kind of a small clinic, but uh, I'm happy to talk to uh, anybody about any questions they might have about physical therapy or. Uh, you know something uh, some question they have might have about a ailment of or such but I can be reached at 731-824-5551 uh, that's our clinic number and all you have to do is ask for Jeff uh, I may not rush to the phone right then but I will get back with you be happy to in the name of your clinic again it's sports plus sports plus humble Awesome.
Awesome. Um, Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Remind everybody out there, move a little bit. Move. That's right. That's right. We all need to do that. And thank you guys. I enjoyed it. Thank you.